Hello, thanks for tuning in to the West Side Podcast. This is where we're going to be posting some of the audio from our gatherings on Sundays, and we're hoping to develop some other content that we're excited to share with you in the future. West Side's vision is to reconcile people to God through the grace of Jesus, step by step. And we really hope that this podcast helps you do just that. We hope it helps you get closer to Jesus. We hope that you would be reconciled to God and not only that, be reconciled to the relationships around you and to the city that you live in, wherever that happens to be. Again, thanks for tuning in and enjoy. And in those moments, and as we wrestle with those things, we have, we have some options. Here's what we tend to do. Is on one hand, sometimes we, we minimize our, our pain and we say, oh, it doesn't hurt that bad. Oh, maybe sometimes we feel like we have to paste like a Christian smile over everything and just say like, oh, God's good. It's, it's okay. It's, it's not that bad. And we just kind of push our emotions down. Sometimes people feel like they have to deny the suffering and the emotions and they just stuff it. Or people decide to just deny that God exists. Or we change our view of God. We just say, you know what, God, you must not care. You know what, God, where were you in my time of tragedy? And so we just, and we start to change how we view God. There's all sorts of different directions that we can go. If you haven't wrestled with that, just give it some time. Because I know that you will. But the Bible, this is, an, this is so interesting to me. And it's, it's, a, it's frustrating. But the Bible isn't as interested in telling us why we suffer. The Bible isn't as interested in telling us all the reasons why. In fact, there's this moment where Jesus is walking with his, with his buddies and they see this guy who's, who's been born blind and, they, and his disciples point to the guy and they're like, so how come this guy's blind? Is it because he sinned? Is it because his parents sinned? I mean, they wanna know, Jesus, tell us why this guy is going through this, this difficult time. And Jesus just isn't really interested in answering that question for them. And you can read it on your own, but Jesus, Jesus kind of sidesteps their question just a bit and then he goes down and he just, and there's this beautiful interaction that he has with this guy who's born blind. But the Bible isn't as interested in telling us why we walk through suffering, but it's more interested in providing hope for us by telling us that we're not alone and that God is in these spaces with us. And we're gonna read Psalm 22. Tonight, I'm going to read the whole chapter of Psalm 22. And I think within Psalm 22, there is, Psalm 22 has so much to offer us tonight. Psalm 22 has so much wisdom for us to know how we walk through sort of our pain and sort of our, our, our suffering and our tragedy. We're going to read Psalm 22 and it's going to give us a few answers tonight. You guys ready? We're going to read it. But before we do, here's a couple things about the book of Psalms. If you haven't do, dived into, dived, dove into the, dived into the book of Psalms, uh, the book of Psalms is so interesting because it's these collection of all these poems. There's these songs from all these different authors and they're kind of all smushed together and there's a, there's a bunch of them. And they're, uh, they're, they're poems that often, they teach us how to talk to God, but not just when things are going good. But these poems are especially good at teaching us how to talk to God, especially when we're walking through things that are tragic. When you go to the book of Psalms, you'll realize that the authors of the, the author of these Psalms, that the, the authors aren't super interested in like, in just kind of pasting over that Christian happy clappy, you know, like, oh, God is good and you're going to be okay. You know, just turn that frown upside down. You know, everything will be fine. 
When you go to the book of Psalms, you will not find that attitude. In fact, roughly 50 of the 150 Psalms, about one third, 50 of them are just these songs of like lament and tragedy. You know, they're just like, they're wrestling with this great contradiction of how can I believe that God is good and that he loves me and yet I am walking through garbage right now. You just hear the Psalms and you just hear the writers just wrestling with this tension. And Psalm 22 is one of those Psalms that help us wrestle with the tension about what do we do with this, with the tragedy we experience and not just the tragedy that kind of comes like a car wreck or, you know, somebody, but like, but people make, people in your life make decisions and because of their sin, because of their, because of their, whatever issues that they're dealing with, it spills over onto my life and it just, it crashes. And I just, the sh- I, I receive the shrapnels from their life into my life. What are we supposed to do? How can we believe that God is good? That's what so many of the Psalms are wrestling with. And so, uh, so I want to read Psalm 22. A um, couple observations about this Psalm, and you'll see it when we read it together, okay? A couple observations. One is uh, when uh, you'll notice, and I didn't see this until somebody pointed out to me, all right? So this is fun that I get to point it out to all of us together. But you'll notice this thing about this poem that we're about to read. Because normally when we pray, when we're going through something difficult, when we're going through something tragic, we tend to just live in what I call request mode. Request mode. It's I'm going through something really tough, and so I'm in request mode. God, help me with this. Help me with this. Help me with this. Like, would you relieve this? Would you help me? Would you deliver me from this? And there's nothing wrong with request mode, okay? Just hear me say that. But we tend to just go right to request mode because our assumption is, listen, our assumption is, is that God already knows how I feel. God already knows how horrible this place that I'm in, in my, in my life right now. He already knows how horrible it is. So it's my job to tell him what he needs to do for me and how he's going to get me out of this hole. That's our assumption. But listen, this Psalm assumes the exact opposite of that. This psalm that we're going to about to read assumes the exact opposite. It assumes that God already knows what he needs to do with us, to do about it. We don't even have to tell him that much. But it assumes that what God really wants is he wants to hear from us how horrible this place is in our life. He wants to hear about our emotions. He wants to, he wants to hear about just how we're feeling when we're in the midst of this grief and this tragedy. It's really, really interesting. So this psalm that we're about to read, there are a couple requests, but there's just a few. There's just a few little requests and they come in the second half of, of the psalm. Most of the psalm, overwhelmingly, most of the psalm is just the psalmist. It's this song, it's this prayer of David and he's just talking about how horrible his life is. And we are uncomfortable with that, aren't we? We, we tend to be really good at request mode and not so good at just pour my heart out and just tell God about all my emotions. We tend to not be very good at that. For some of us, you're not good at it because you're just as emotional as a rock, all right? So maybe you're just like not good at that. But it's something that we need to get better at as humans because it seems as if the Psalms are inviting us in to this space where we are just pouring out just, Lord, this is hard, this is hard, this is hard. See, maybe you grew up maybe in a context where you were taught that what that is is complaining to God and we are Christians, we shouldn't complain to God. We don't complain. We just need to, you know, like keep a stiff upper lip and have have faith because if you're complaining, that means you don't have a lot of faith. But I don't think that's what the Psalms are teaching us. I think it teaches us that what God wants is he wants to hear our emotions. He wants to hear about our pain. See, there's a difference between groaning and grumbling. 
There's a difference between groaning and grumbling. The scripture invites us to groan. In fact, the book of Romans says that all of creation groans, that there's this groaning that happens in us as human beings because we live in this fallen world where things are hard and things are broken. That groaning to God is a legitimate response to our tragedy, but grumbling Grumbling is a little bit different. Grumbling is, is God, why don't you care? And God, if, you know, I deserve this. That's, that's grumbling, but groaning is something entirely different. And these Psalms invite us into it. And um, this poem is a great, great taste of the ancient tradition of grief, lament, and protest. Grief, lament, and protest. There's a lot of Psalms that live in this world. And as, uh, I'm gonna get there, I promise, all right? And then I'm just gonna read it, just a little bit of commentary, and we're gonna land it tonight. Um, But uh, as an example, I wanted to just bring like a modern day example. And this is the only funny thing I have in my whole sermon tonight because it's a heavy topic. So I just felt like I needed one funny thing. All right. Um, But have you guys ever heard of the the Continental Airlines letter of complaint from seat 29E? Have you heard of this before? It went viral years ago and it was kind of all over the internet. Um, But there's this legitimate letter of complaint from this person on a Continental Airlines flight. Um, from, and, they're, and they're sitting in seat 29E and it went viral. And I just want to read it to you because I think it's a really, really great example of, of like a prayer of lament, what Psalm 22 is inviting us into. You guys ready? I actually have the, the actual letter right up here for you to read along with me. All right, here's what he says, or she, I'm, we're not really sure. It says, Dear Continental, Continental Airlines, I am disgusted as I write this note to you about the miserable experience I am having sitting in seat 29E on one of your aircrafts. As you may know, this seat is situated directly across from the lavatory, so close that I can reach out my left arm and touch the door. All my senses are being tortured simultaneously. It's about to get way better. And by the way, there's some choice language in this letter that I had to remove because we're in church, all right? Uh, All my senses are being tortured simultaneously. It's difficult to say what the worst part about sitting in seat 29 really is. Is it the stench of the sanitation fluid that's blown all over my body every 60 seconds when the door opens? Is it the whoosh of the constant flushing? Or is it the passenger's rear ends that seem to fit into my personal space like a jigsaw puzzle? I constructed a stink shield by shoving one end of a blanket into the overhead compartment while, while effective in blocking at least some of the smell and offering a, bit, a small bit of privacy, the rear end on my body factor has increased. As without my evil glare, passengers feel free to lean up against what they think is some kind of blanketed wall. The next rear end that touches my shoulder will be the last. I'm picturing, I'm picturing a boardroom full of executives giving props to the young promising engineer that figured out how to squeeze an additional row of seats into this plane by putting them next to the laboratory. And then there's even a little drawing that shows us how close the seat is from the laboratory. I would like to flush his head into the toilet that I am close enough to touch and taste. Do you see how they add and taste from my seat? Putting a seat here was a very bad idea. I just heard a man groan in there. And then you can see there's a depiction of a man's rear end in my face. All right, there's the picture. Worse yet, worse yet is I've paid over $400 for the honor of sitting in this seat. 
Does your company give refunds? I'd like to go back to where, uh, back where I came from and start over. Seat 29E could only be worse if it was located inside the bathroom. <laughs> I wonder if my clothing will retain the sanitizing odor. What about my hair? I feel like I'm bathing in a toilet bowl of blue liquid and there's no man in a little boat to save me. <laughs> I am filled with deep hatred for your plane designer and a general disease that may last for hours. We are finally descending and soon I will be able to tear down the stink shield, but the scars will remain. <laughs> Isn't this brilliant? This is so funny. Send it to, they sent it to Continental Airlines. I suggest that you initiate, uh, initiate immediate removal of this seat from all of your crafts. Just remove it and leave the smoldering brown hole, brown hole empty. A good place for sturdy, non-absorbing luggage maybe, but just not human cargo. There's the letter. I share that letter with you, one, because it's the only funny thing in the sermon, and two, because I think it's a really, really great example of what Psalm 22 is endeavoring to do. Notice there's one request in that letter. There's only one request, really, and the one request is just remove it. That's the only request. The whole rest of the letter is this is why sitting in 29E is, a, is horrible. And Psalm 22 is going to just enter into that same tradition of just pouring out our hearts to the Lord. Um, here's the point. If you have to leave early, if you just want to know, Brooks, what's the bottom line? Here's the point is I think when it comes to our doubts and when it comes to our doubts with wrestling with just pain and tragedy, I think there, and you can take notes on this, there's an alternative to just leaving. There's an alternative to leaving. It's called grieving. That when you go through pain and hurt and tragedy, you don't have to leave because what God's inviting you to do in his presence is to grieve. Let me read it to you. It's Psalm 22. It starts out like this. So there's a little title that you'll notice in the, sometimes in the Psalms have a title. Not all of them, but this one does. And it says, for the director of music to the tune of the dough of the morning, a Psalm of David. And we usually skip over those intros, but there's actually, this tells us something really interesting. Um, this tells us that, um, that this was a song that was supposed to be sung to the tune of the dough of the morning. Who's familiar with the tune of the dough of the morning? Exactly. Neither am I. None of us are. <laughs> Nobody knows what the tune of the, of the dough of the morning sounded like. But what's interesting about this psalm is that this is an experience of David. He's going through something really difficult in his life, and he writes it down. It's a song for him, but then it passes into the prayer life of the Israelites. That this becomes a prayer that the Israel. Who knows how many countless of millions Israelites through the centuries have 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 prayed this prayer, have sung this song. And even though it was David's experience, now this becomes, this becomes a prayer for anyone who feels abandoned by God. It becomes a prayer for anyone who feels like God has left them. And you will find the very first line of this psalm very familiar. It says, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Does that sound familiar? You know who said that? Jesus said that prayed this prayer while hanging on the cross. We'll come back to that at the end because it's so significant. Why are you so far from saving me? So far from my cries of anguish. My God, I cry out by day, but you do not answer. By night, but I find no rest. 
Yet you are enthroned as the Holy One. You are the one Israel praises. And you, our ancestors, put their trust. They trusted and you delivered them. It says like you've, you've showed up for other people, but I am a worm. You don't show up for me. I'm a worm and not a man, scorned by everyone, despised by the people. All who see me mock me. They hurl insults, shaking their heads. He trusts in the Lord, they say. Let the Lord rescue him. Let him deliver, let him, deliver him since he delights in him. And yet you brought me out of the womb and you made me trust in you, even, in my, even at my mother's breast. From birth, I was cast on you. From my mother's womb, you have been my God. So don't, do not be far from me. For trouble is near and there is no one to help. Many bulls surround me. Strong bulls of Bashan encircle me. Roaring lions that tear their prey open, um, open their mouths wide against me. This is a very common sort of Jewish way to describe, you know, the, the animal kingdom is untamed. It's, you can't control it. And so these are just language to say that like the, the, the world that I live in right now, my life right now is so... I can't control anything. I'm just at the whim of just what's happening to me. I'm just blown everywhere. I am poured out like water and all my bones are out of joint. My heart has turned to wax. It has melted within me. My mouth is dried up like a potsherd and my tongue sticks to the roof of my mouth. You lay me in the dust of death. Dogs surround me. A pack of villain, villains encircles me. They pierce my hands and my feet. All my bones are on display. People stare and gloat over me. They divide my clothes among them and cast lots for my garment. Now, it takes a shift right here because everything so far, there've been no requests. It's just, Lord, this is, how, this is how screwed up my life is right now. This is how it feels. Apparently this is stuff that God wants to hear from us. But now it shifts and now here's a couple requests. But you, Lord, do not be far from me. You are my strength. Come quickly to help me. Deliver me from the sword, my precious life from the power of the dogs. Rescue me from the mouth of the lions. Save me from the horns of the wild oxen. Those are the requests. And then now the second part, it shifts. It shifts again. And now you'll see that there's like uh, another little tone here where now it's, we're assuming that David has gotten sort of past this really difficult part in his life. And now there's this shift where it's like, okay, Lord, you, you've come through for me. And so now like, now I'm, because of how good you are, I'm gonna proclaim how awesome you are to just everyone around me. Listen to what he says. He says, I will declare your name to my people. In the assembly, I will praise you. You who fear the Lord, praise him. All you descendants of Jacob, honor him. Revere him, all you descendants of Israel. For he has not despised or scorned the suffering of the afflicted one. No, he has not hidden his face from him, but has listened to his, help, to his cry for help. From you comes the theme of my praise in the great assembly. Before those who fear you, I will fulfill my vows. The poor will eat and be satisfied. This sounds like a toast right here. The, the poor will eat and be satisfied. Those who seek the Lord will praise him. May your hearts live forever. This is so interesting because we don't really have categories for this. Number one, we're not very good at pouring out our hearts to the Lord and just telling him how we feel about, about the, the, the mire that we find ourselves in. 
but also uh, we, we tend to just do the request mode. But then this last part seems to indicate that there's something, what, what would it look like if when we walk through the dark night of the soul and we start to see, we just start to see the morning turning into dancing the next morning? What if it became our practice to just gather our friends, gather all the people that knew, knew about what stuff we were walking through and we just throw a big party? Like just a big celebration so that we can celebrate how good God is and how he brought us through it. Wouldn't that be really cool if we built that into a practice? It assumes though, that if you're gonna invite people to the party, it assumes that you have invited some of those, you've invited those people into the pain that you were experiencing. And so that you didn't walk through it alone, but you invited some people and they walked along with you. And so then when you get to the other side of that, when you get out of the valley, sort of onto the mountain, then you just, you throw a party. It seems like that's what's happening here in the Psalm. David's just like lifting a glass saying, God, he, he came through, he rescued me. And then it ends like this. All the ends of the earth will remember and turn to the Lord. And all the families of the nations will bow down before him. For dominion belongs to the Lord and he rules over the nations. All the rich of the earth will feast and worship and all who go down to the dust will kneel before him, those who cannot keep themselves alive. Posterity will serve him. Future generations will be told about the Lord. They will proclaim his righteousness, declaring to a people yet unborn, he has done it. He's done it. Okay, two quick things. First, something really practical and then something really, I think, helpful. Number one, uh, when people wrestle with disappointment with God, often our response is to, we, we, we feel like God didn't come through. There's something wrong with him. Maybe he just doesn't exist. And so when we walk through disappointment, pain, tragedy, often that becomes the thing that causes people to leave. They leave. They feel like it can't be true that God's real. And so I'm just going to leave. And I just wanna suggest to you that there's a different option. Instead of leaving, perhaps the Lord's just inviting us to start grieving. Instead of leaving, what if he wants us to grieve? See, we think that if God loves me, then things, is, things are gonna go well for me. We think that like nothing bad is gonna happen if I follow God, but where do, we, where do we get that idea? Why do we believe that sometimes? There's no promise that says that if you follow Jesus, there's not, you're, gonna have, you're not gonna experience pain or tragedy or, or disappointment in your life. And so because people feel like that God's disappointed them, it just it becomes this reason that I leave. But perhaps, perhaps these Psalms are inviting us into this distinction between leaving and grieving. And maybe as you're walking through tragedy, don't, make, don't assume that, that, that God must be out to lunch. Don't assume that like something's wrong with you or something's got wrong with God or that God doesn't exist at all. Maybe, maybe when you're walking through tragedy, what he, wants you, what he wants you to do in those moments isn't to leave, but to grieve, but to grieve. Remember that the next time you're walking through horrific circumstances. Everything's in you. Everything in you is going to want to leave. You know why? Because it's easier to leave than to grieve. It's easier to leave than to grieve. And I think the Psalms and, and the Lord are just inviting us to pause and just, Hey, would you, would you grieve? It's okay to grieve. Pour that out to me. And maybe you're going to have a friend who comes to you and they, they're going through pain and tragedy and they're like, you know what? God must be, must be out to lunch. I'm going to leave. Maybe just that phrase sticks in your head. I want it to stick in your head because maybe what you can offer them in that moment is, hey, before you leave, before you get up and leave, would you just consider, just, would you consider just bringing your griefs, your griefs to the Lord? Okay, last, last. And Olivia, would you come up?
to start to play. I'm gonna, we're gonna tr- kind of transition the room or we're gonna respond because I have to go back to this part. Remember the beginning where it said, my God, my God, why, why have you forsaken me? Um, I have a feeling that a lot of us can relate to the first half of Psalm 22 more than the second half. The first half of Psalm 22 really speaks to all of our experience, which is tragedy and tough things that we just wrestle with in our lives. We can relate to it and we can relate to the asking part because we're really good at that. But that second part, that second part of like, God, you came through. Now we're going to celebrate. I feel like I, I feel like less of us relate to that because I feel like for the most part, even though all of us have bright spots in our lives and God comes through and we celebrate. And I think if we have eyes to see, it, we can see God moving and working in our lives often. I think a lot of times, though, we just live in a world that is really, really hard. Things are hard. I mean, who knows what, what can happen just around any corner. There's just, there's tragedy and there's, there's disappointment, there's grief and there's pain. And so I think we can really relate to that beginning part. And here's why it's so significant that Jesus quotes this prayer of lament when he's on the cross. And you'll notice there's all sorts of similarities between that, that Psalm and Jesus on the cross. There's a lot of similarities. How, how come, how come that, that's, what's going on with that? Well, even though this is David's prayer of lament, Jesus takes this psalm on his lips when he's dying on the cross. You know what he's doing right there? He's not just sympathizing with us. He is, he's experiencing our pain. In that moment, he's taking all of our pain, all of our sorrow, all of our grief. He's not just saying, oh, you poor humans, like you're gonna get through, just trust in me. That's not his message. His message is, I'm gonna come. I'm gonna come and experience your pain. And just like you and I cry out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Jesus took those words on his lips. And because he took those words on his lips, that becomes an anchor for us when we walk through suffering and tragedy and and hard things. It becomes an anchor for us because we know that he knows exactly what it's like. We know that we can go to him even when we wrestle and even when we're going through difficult things because he knows, He he can relate to us because he's been there. And even though you and I might not ever get to the party on the other half of Psalm 22, even though you and I might not ever get to see the the completion of what God wants to do with us on this side of creation, even though maybe maybe you might walk through the pain and the hurt, maybe you might walk through the cancer, maybe you might walk through the chronic pain, maybe you might walk through just the the grieving that we walk through, and maybe maybe we're never gonna see that party on the other end that David talks about in in the second half of his Psalm, But you know what? Jesus's words to us where he says, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? It becomes an anchor to the soul because even though we might not be able to experience that resurrection party, Jesus did. Jesus did. He came up from the grave, conquering sin and death and pain and grief forever. And so when you bind your life to Jesus's life, even though you might not be able to experience the party, oh, you will, you will. If it's not on this side of creation, it will be on the other side of new creation. There is deep, deep hope. So if you are walking through grief, if you're walking through tragedy, listen, don't leave. Don't leave. Don't leave. Don't leave. Grief. Grief. It's okay to grieve. Psalm 22 invites you to grieve. And in that grieving, we are coming to the one that can actually, actually rescue us and save us. Ben, come on up and I'll pray for us. Father, 
we just respond to you tonight. Even though we don't have all of the answers that we want when it comes to our tragedy and our pain, Lord, we know that your promise is that you are with us because you hung on the cross and you said, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? You took this prayer on your lips. And so therefore you entered into all of humanity's pain and hurt and tragedy. What an incredible thought that you did that for us. And so we bind our lives to your life. Lord, we connect our life, our story with your story, Lord. And we just pray that as, as we follow you, Lord, that you would just start connecting the dots. Lord, would you come in and heal us? Lord, would you, we, we pray for that party. We ask for that resolution. We ask, Lord, that you would deliver us. Yes, we do. And at the same time, even if it doesn't come in our lifetime, Lord, we know that we have an anchor to hold on to, even especially when the storm gets rough because you are our anchor. You are the author and perfecter of our faith. We hold on to you in Jesus' name, amen.